This morning, I would like to take a portion of Scripture, not the gospel record of the resurrection, but the record, rather, of 1 Corinthians, a very, very important record. important because it's spoken to a church that we would, would remind me greatly of the days we're living in. The record in Corinthians is written to the most wicked church, if I can call a church wicked. All you would have to do is to read First and Second Corinthians to know that in Corinth, God had his greatest problems. Christians were involved in sins that shouldn't even be talked about. And it is to this church that the great resurrection chapter is spoken. And from this, I cannot help but believe that the reason for this is that God had to make it so clear to that church that Christ is risen, Christ is going to judge us. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to answer for the deeds done in our body. We who have been redeemed in his blood, we who have truly believed. And when I say that, your heart in the congregation this morning responds in one of two ways. Either you believe in Christ wholeheartedly, you cannot be half and half with Jesus. May I be clear on this? Jesus says, he that is not for me is against me. There's no halfway. When someone says to me, I want to walk the middle road, you can't do this with Jesus Christ. He says, without me, you can do nothing. So it's a, when I say that, the response of your hearts in the congregation this morning is either one way or the other. Either you respond and say, yes, I know him with all my heart. I truly trust him as my Savior. But in this church in Corinth, it was a picture really of the church of the last days. For Jesus said that the wickedness would grow and grow and grow. And that ever, if ever a church should be stressing the resurrection of Christ, it is the church today. Because it is the risen Savior who made the cross of effect and who wants to dwell in our hearts by faith to strengthen us for this tremendous conflict that's all around us. You're certainly conscious of it. I know our young people are conscious of it. This is a tremendous conflict. We who are older possibly are not affected by the younger at the moment. But this tremendous conflict is going on and only as we really know the risen Savior and know what he means to us can we face the problems of this, the last days of the age of grace. For certainly Jesus is coming soon how there could be any doubt in our hearts 
about the coming of Christ, when we look around us and we realize that Jesus said to us, in the last days there would be confusion of nations. Men's hearts would fail them for fear for the things that were coming upon the earth. All we have to do is look around us and to see that, as he said, coldness will come in part to the church. Why has the church dropped from 60% in attendance to 42% in 10 years? That's the greatest drop we've ever had. Coldness has come into the church. Jesus said there'll be a falling away. And I know for a fact that even though I have preached on this subject, Christians in this very church have become lax in their faithfulness to Jesus. Prayer meeting, they used to come faithfully. They don't now. And even hearing the preaching, knowing the words of the Lord, warning us as Christians, this is what you're going to face. They are deceived in their own hearts by Satan. And without knowing it, they're drifting, drifting away. I'm sure that today more will be said in a lot of churches about Vietnam and about civil rights and all of these other subjects, but not too much about the risen Savior who arose bodily from the grave. And yet the answer to all the Vietnams that have ever come, to all the wars we've ever had, is a risen, triumphant Christ transforming the hearts of men. There's no answer to the wars of the world in unregenerate men. It's not possible. The only possibility is in that faith that we have in Christ. The only peace you and I will ever know on the face of this earth is the peace that Christ brings to your heart personally. It's not going to settle the conflicts of the world. Jesus says, in this world there'll be tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And as he comes to dwell in our hearts by faith, we become overcomers through him. We have a personal peace within our breast because we know nothing can touch us as the children of God. We can never be, be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're secure for eternity. How blessed and how wonderful to know that. So, Christian, if you've been sliding away, remember the warnings came from the pulpit. I would dread ever thinking that some of my people would appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that the Lord would say, Pastor, my under-shepherd spoke the word and warned you of coldness coming into the church and with all his warnings you ignored it and you drifted away and you became cold and you became indifferent to the one who redeemed your souls. Oh, how, how careful we have to be of that. There are no other answers for mankind. President Nixon doesn't have the answer. All the rulers of the earth have no answer for us. Only Christ has that answer. For the only peace you can ever really experience is the peace that is in your individual hearts. And this has to be individual. It can't be a matter of a husband and wife having the same peace as much as I would like to say 
I praise God that it does exist in so many families. It has to be individual. It has to be in your heart, vertically to Christ. All I see for the future of this world, in my eyes, as pastor, all I see is my Christ. For he is the assurance of my future. I see nothing around me that assures me of anything in this world. I am sure that we are in for some terrible, chaotic conditions in the United States. We've been pleading for answers for years, and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Since the Lord told us there would be confusion of nations and men's hearts would fail them for fear for the things coming on the earth, we should know that that is true as Christians. Now, the portion that I want you to look at is 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bible with you this morning. If not, there are Bibles in the pew there that you can use. And I think that concerning these portions, I'll read just a portion. I have several portions I'd like to read. I doubt I will get through them all with you. They're so marvelous and so blessed. But here is the church at Corinth. It's a difficult church to preach to. I would have to say as a preacher that I, I get great joy in preaching in Malvern. I don't think that, I don't think that Paul had that easy work with Corinth. All of them, including the top ones probably in the church there, were involved in all kinds of immorality if you were to read the early chapters of, of, of the Corinthian epistles. But uh, Paul has much to say to them here because they had come to the impression that their dead were not rising. They would not rise. In Thessalonica, they had similar problems. But it was a different problem than we have today. The Corinthians did not deny the resurrection of Jesus. I would to God that all around us today, they at least consented to that in some sense. But they consented to the resurrection of Jesus, but they didn't believe their dead rose. Because somehow, I guess they'd gotten that impression, Christ arose from the grave the third day, he was seen of his disciples and all. And what happens to our dead? We put them away after they have been buried. We see no resurrection. They must have been going by the senses, the eyes. And so they had a great difficulty. It's a sad moment when you put a loved one aside. I'm sure it was a sad moment the other day for the family of Bobby Beckner. But I can't think of any sadder moment than thinking that there's no resurrection of the dead. Oh, how I would pray that no one here would ever have that kind of an experience. To put away the one you love the most in all of life, 
or a child, a wife, a husband, mother, father, and have not one little hope to see them again. And so the church here was having problems, and these problems were difficult. Now the 12th verse begins it. Paul is speaking. He says, now, if Christ be preached, that he rose from the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? It's very important we grasp what he's saying here. The reason for Christ rising from the dead was to verify our salvation and to assure us that we would also rise. Paul says that same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead shall also raise your mortal bodies. He says, I don't quite understand this. How is it that you speak about Christ? You know, I love that word, if. I always put circles around ifs in my Bible. If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. Now, I want to say this, that if is a big thing in a lot of churches today. And the preaching of Christ's resurrection has been lost in our age and is so restricted by men in many ways. I can think of four ways that the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is restricted. Number one, it's limited to Easter. Isn't that true? It's limited to Easter. That's the only time some people think about the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Yet the Scripture says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now I want to tell you, if that is that which saves the human soul, you can't stop thinking about the resurrection of Christ. It's a moment-by-moment experience. My Savior is risen. My Savior has come to dwell in my breast by faith. He lives in me. He breathes through me. We say in the Scripture, in Him I live and I breathe and I have my being. This is Christianity, you see, as Christianity should be. So that we experience this new life of Christ welling up in us and taking possession of our bodies, and we present our bodies unto him as a holy, living, acceptable sacrifice unto God. The living Christ. Not many people limit it to an Easter. That's the only time they think of the resurrection. And they hardly think of it then. Somehow, it is just the time that some obeisance will be made to God. Oh, deliver us from such beloved. If Christ is the answer to man and the risen Savior is alive today, oh, how this should thrill our hearts. It's a limited thing. It's restricted to Easter. Then to others, the second thing is, it's a spirit resurrection. It's not a bodily resurrection. Spirit resurrection. 
In other words, Christ arose, but not bodily. He arose in spirit only. Well, now I want to say this. It leaves it unprovable. Who can prove that a spirit arose? That certainly was not the purpose of Jesus Christ. The scripture is very, very clear that he was seen, that he came to his disciples by the seaside, that when they were out fishing and getting nothing, he said, drop your nets to the other side. And then he invited them in. And when they come in, he had fish cooking on the coals. And they were frightened when they saw him. And he looked at them and he said, A spirit hath not flesh and bone like ye see. Give me fish to eat. Now that's the kind of a savior I worship. I would never be satisfied with anybody told me Christ arose in a spirit form. Christian science says he was some ethereal gas. God deliver us from such a thought. My Savior arose. He held his nail-printed hands out and his feet, and he said, Touch me and see. The Spirit hath not flesh and bones like ye see me have. Thomas, put your finger into my side. Doubting Thomas. And so there will be those who talk of a spirit resurrection, that he arose in a spirit. But, oh, beloved, it's so, so completely different. Jesus was seen, remember. Look at the first part of that chapter, 15th chapter. Notice what it says. It talks of his death. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Word gospel means good news which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received. Oh, I, I love that. Boy, that, that, that is a terse statement, isn't it? I preached it to you, you received it, and you stand in it. There's a message, isn't it, all by itself. Preached, believed on, this is it. Wherefore stand upon that faith which you have. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was, what? Seen of Cephas, Peter. Then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that he was seen of James, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. He's saying I'm a very unusual man because God separated me from my mother's womb and he did something which only those who are taking part in his second coming can experience. I saw the glorified Savior when he dealt with me on Damascus Road and directed that I should write half the New Testament as he breathed through me. I was born out of due time. I should have been born in the age that Pastor Gian is in, when the Lord may come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. 
But I was born back here after Christ arose, after Christ ascended, and I had the joy of seeing him, and it made me fall before him. And my eyes were blinded by the glory until the scales were removed from my eyes so that I could see again. And immediately when I saw, I went to the synagogue and I preached. He was seen walking. Touch me and see. Listen, isn't this the kind of a Savior you want really? Isn't this one that's really alive from the dead? He's more alive today if you really want him than anything else in the universe because all things were made by him and for him and by him all things consist. But he is before all things. He is the preeminent one. He's alive from the dead and says, Behold, I am he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore and I live to make intercession for you. This is the Christ we love. Oh, that you would seize upon the dynamic of Christ. That your life would become bountiful and beautiful because of Jesus Christ. That the risen Savior might really live in you, young person, older person, really live and breathe through you so that you become his hands and his feet, so that you become the very instrument of his heart and his mind because he's the head of the body and we're members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones and he would direct thee in every path that thou art to walk in. Then it is spoken of in pulpits by men, beloved, who do not have the Holy Spirit. And this is a tragedy. How shocked my heart is when I hear sometimes the messages that supposedly come from sacred pulpits ordained of God where the power of the Holy Spirit is supposed to reside. Nothing but trivialities. Nothing to do with the soul of man. Nothing to redeem him. Nothing to give him eternal life. Nothing to show him there is a way. And that way is into the heart of God through Jesus Christ. That if in this life only we had hope of Jesus Christ, we would be miserable. It's necessary that we have this dynamic hope down to our Savior the one who is risen from the dead. And so Paul here talks to them. He says, now if Christ be risen from the dead, how say some of you that the dead rise not? Then it's relegated to the debatable truth. People try to debate about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not the subject for debate. This is the word of God, that Christ is risen. And if we throw that out, we throw everything out. Now notice what Paul says. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? 13th verse. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And you are yet in your sins. If you look down just a little further, you'll see this repeated. In the 17th verse, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. 14th verse, If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain. 
Imagine, instead of a minister of righteousness, instead of a minister preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, to become a preacher of nothing. He says, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, we might as well close the doors. Why, the church is a foolish organization if Christ is not risen from the dead. It has no meaning. He says, if Christ is not risen from the dead, my preaching is vain. I've wasted all my time. I've spent a lifetime in the study of what that means nothing. If Christ is not risen from the dead, your faith is also vain. My preaching is vain. And you've come to believe on something that's really not true at all. Because if Christ is not risen from the dead, then his cross means absolutely nothing. The means of our redemption, the bloodshed upon the cross of Calvary, are an absolute zero. Because Christ must arise from the dead to prove to us that that blood of the cross was sufficient for the sins of all mankind. He came into the world to redeem the world. He tasted death for every man that he might bring us to God. That cross is the only means of our redemption and the only proof we have that it is that which redeems us is the resurrection of Christ bodily from the grave. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Can you think of how terrible that would be to think of a wasted time of listening to something that meant nothing? Hmm? Wouldn't that be terrible? To think that the dead did not rise. Can you picture how foolish this would be? Can you imagine this? We believe in Christ rising from the dead. And yet, we would not believe that the dead rise. Can someone tell me what value would this have? What would it mean? Who cares whether my sins are forgiven or not if there's nothing beyond the grave? It means absolutely nothing. That's why Christ arose that we might know that He is Son of God. The Scripture says He was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the grave. This verified every single claim He had so that we could know with all assurance, we could go down through life with all of its despair, with all of the trials, with all of the problems, with all of the deaths in the family, with all of the terrible burdens we may have to bear. We can go down through life because Christ arose. And we know at the end of the road, when we go, we shall be absent from the body and present with the Lord Jesus. Praise be to His name. And that beloved one that you've laid aside, what would it mean for the pastor to stand by the graveside and read some portion of Scripture unless you knew that that was just the house they dwelt in? It was not really them. It was not really them. It was just the house they dwelt in. They're absent from the body now and present with the Lord. 
And that body that we have now slowly decays. We cannot live beyond a certain length of time. And unless the Lord comes, all of us shall go by the way of death. But, beloved, this should not be a terrible thing. I had thought before as I listened to the choir sing when they were singing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And I was thinking, honestly, at funeral services, the Christian should be saying, Hallelujah! I'll see my loved one again, even though the sorrow is deep in the heart and the hurt is deep within the soul, yet there's an Hallelujah in our hearts because we know without a single doubt that we're going to see our loved one again. Your faith is vain, he says. What have you come to listen to me for unless you believe Christ is risen? He says, my preaching is nothing. Therefore, your faith is nothing. And what's more, he says, I am just a liar. That's what he says. I am a false witness of God. He says, we have found false witnesses of God because we've testified that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if the dead do not rise. Isn't that tremendous? Isn't that wonderful? The reason Christ arose is that he might guarantee to you and to me that we shall also rise. Now, this is going to go far beyond your capacities of reasoning with that little bit of gray matter that you have in your head. This you only accept by faith. By faith we understand. That faith reaches into eternity and has the hand of Jesus Christ in the Holy of Holies. And, beloved, the Holy Spirit has been given us down here when we have trusted Christ as our Savior so that we know that we have eternal life. He says, My Spirit shall bear witness with your Spirit, and you will know that you are the children of God. And then the last breath down here, when we take it, we are there because we've been seated together already in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the Christian on earth, the last breath here is the first breath there. There's no cessation of time. There's no soul sleep. It is a matter of being in the very presence of Christ, so much so that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He speaks of it time and time again that to have Christ as personal Savior means that he's going to see his Savior face to face. Listen to 1 John 3. We know not what we shall be, but we know that when we see Christ, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. We do not know exactly what we will be, but we know that we're going to be like Christ. We're going to have bodies, as he said, fashioned like unto his glorious body. And he will change this vile body and fashion it like unto his own. Philippians 3rd chapter. And so the glorious privilege of the Christian is to know his Savior is risen bodily from the grave. He was seen. We're going to be caught up together with him. And I believe, beloved, that our recognition of our loved ones is going to be tremendous. Tremendous. It'll be beautiful beyond words. I believe that when he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Isn't that wonderful? With them 
to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that great? You ought to be shouting hallelujah, praise the Lord. Caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. There's going to be that glory of identification. Moses and Elijah were on the Mount of Transfiguration, but they were there and they knew who they were. The disciples looked at them, John and James. And we thank the Lord, Peter also. And they identified them. We're going to be identifiable. I think for the first time we'll truly see each other in the perfection of beauty. I believe God is going to take out all those little idiosyncrasies and the little pettinesses that we have in us, all of us, whoever we are, between husbands and wives and between fathers and mothers and their children, God's going to remove them all. And then when we see that loved one, we'll see them with all the glorified qualities of Jesus Christ and all of those little things that annoyed us on earth are gone. What a day. What a day. Is there anyone that isn't somehow doesn't able to look at other people and say they know their flaws, but do you know your own? Cast not the mote out of thy brother's eye. How about the beam in your own? And so all of these things will be cleared away caught up together with them. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that my wife Alice will see me in a different way than she's ever seen me before. I praise the Lord for that. That you, your dear loved ones, there will be such a tremendous joy in your heart of being caught up together. The dead in Christ rising first. We which are alive and remain caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds and the air. And then shall we ever be with the Lord. How can we help but want to live for Jesus? Then, beloved, there'll be, you know, no more funerals. Won't that be wonderful? Rockville Cemetery put this in the paper, and I, I don't agree with them, that's all. They said, someday, something to think about. Someday we hope it is still a long way off for you, but nevertheless, it is someday for every one of us an emergency will arise, and you'll have to call the funeral home because of death. Now, beloved, I'm hoping that's not going to happen for us. You see? looking unto the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the Son of God in the clouds of heaven to take us unto himself. For the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Wouldn't that be blessed? Wouldn't that be blessed? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And to think that, you know, finally those wonderful words over in Revelation 21, if you want to turn over with me for just a minute, Revelation 21, 1 to 6, Oh, what a blessed moment that's going to be for us. Revelation 21. Here, John is speaking notice, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is now with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Notice this. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more, what? Death. 
No more funeral. All gone. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne, this is Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and are faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst the fountain of the water of life freely. What a day. No more funerals, no more death, no more crying. Oh, what a day. I pray that you're really a Christian this morning. I pray that you've really been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus makes that so clear. This is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of your sins. Have you received him this morning? Do you really know him? Does this verse really mean something to you? That one day you're going to be there and there'll be no more tears, no crying, nor death, nor sorrow. Former things have passed away and former things have become new. Do you really know him this morning? Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father, we do thank thee this morning for this portion in 1 Corinthians where Paul deals with those who doubted the resurrection of the dead, even consented to the fact that Jesus did rise, but they could not come to the point where they believed their loved ones would rise. And we're thankful that thy word makes it so clear that if Christ is not risen, then the dead will never rise. And if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Father, we come to thee and we pray that you'd seal it to our hearts, the risen Christ, the one who gave himself for us, who suffered death on the cross of Calvary, who suffered death for every man that he might bring us to God. Oh, Father, how we pray this morning that no one will leave without Christ in their hearts. Oh, may they take him this morning. May they believe on him. Father, we just pray that every heart here this morning, just all to themselves, will make that decision for Jesus Christ. And Father, I would ask just this one thing as I under-shepherd, if anyone here, or there might have been a few from last Sunday, who have not yet dropped a postcard into the mail, much as Spurgeon in his day did, and just said, last Sunday, I really came to Christ. That tomorrow or Tuesday, they'll write that little card, just saying, dear pastor, I really came to Christ as my Savior last Sunday at Easter time. And if decisions are being made right now, Lord, gather them close to thyself, and may they remember thy words, I give unto you eternal life. 
because you have believed on me as your Savior. And no one shall pluck you from my hand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.